My name is Mickey Horvath, and I am the host of the Career Guy podcast, where I am interviewing a variety of guests and letting them share their stories about their career and career paths, giving you, the listener, a lot more insight of the various careers that exist, perhaps helping you make more informed choices of the career path you may want to take in your life. Today, I'm interviewing Leo King of King's Fitness. Leo King has a bachelor's degree in kinesiology from the University of Calgary. He is the owner of King's Fitness, located in Calgary. He is also the president of the International Natural Bodybuilding and Fitness Federation, known as the INBF. He is a qualified judge in bodybuilding and fitness competitions. He's also a professional natural bodybuilder and a certified strength trainer coach. In this interview, he explains how he has combined his passion for fitness, helping others, and traveling all into his entrepreneurial spirit by establishing the many facets in the fitness industry, making him a true leader in this field. This interview will benefit anyone who's interested in entrepreneurship, especially in the fitness industry. It would also appeal to fitness enthusiasts, and more importantly, on how leaders emerge amongst us. So with that, I'd like to welcome Leo King. Thanks, Leo, for your time this afternoon. I really, really appreciate it. I'm really excited about this interview. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. I'm uh, looking forward to this uh, conversation. You live in Calgary, Alberta, but you were not born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. Right. So I was born in a place called Southampton in England, and I lived there for the first 19 years of my life before emigrating here to Canada. So we we had some family that had been here before I was born. So we were doing some vacations and some stuff like that. And it was just always on our radar to to move the country. So we finally say pulled the plug and and kind of left everything behind and moved across the halfway around the world. You you guys came straight to Calgary? Yeah, yeah. So you were 19, so were you still in high school or were you just about to enter university? I started university here. I'd actually done my first uh, year of undergrad in England and I was doing a sports night exercise science program out there. During that year, my the rest of my family had actually emigrated. I, I stayed behind just to f- complete that that year. And when I moved out for the summer, I had actually had the intentions of moving back to finish. But I went and talked with the the career people at the University of Calgary about the kinesiology program and and how what a transfer would look like and stuff like that. And once I spoke to them and and did the tours around and stuff like that, I immediately had applied for kinesiology. So so I I ended up transferring into my second year but I still did four years of undergrad at the UFC okay so even in England you're already taking a degree that was related to kinesiology you called it sports what did you call it again yeah it's it's sports and exercise science which is basically the equivalent of kinesiology it's a study of movement and kinetics and within the exercise field so very similar the just a couple of differences though the the programs out there the undergrads are only three years versus four years in north america and 
the program was very much laid out for you in England. So one of the, the hard things that I found coming here was you had all these options and you get to create your own sort of degree within your degree. So that was a little bit of a, a different thought process for me. What made you take sports and exercise and kinesiology? What made you follow this path right now? I was the kid who I played every sport, often on two or three different teams, two or three times a day. So you can imagine what that was like for my parents, but I was very active. I just loved exercise and sports in general. That kind of morphed into getting into the gym side of things and working out to get a bit bigger and stronger to be a little bit more competitive, mostly in, in football or soccer out here. Um, as well as some other things. But that started fueling the passion for working out and the gym side. And it just kind of led me down that pathway. Okay, what what were the next steps to get into after kind of finishing school and, and college in England? It was just like the obvious step to, just to go into. Okay, so you're just obviously into sports. You're really active. And it was just a natural move just to get into that. You said you played a yep. lot of sports. You played a lot of soccer. With that said, working out, obviously, when you came to Calgary, you started working out. It sort of led you into to bodybuilding as well. Did it, did it not? Or? One of the other things that I was always fascinated with was the, the human body and the anatomy and how to make it change as well. So that, that led my passion to start working out, to actually have something that you can control and you can change as, as, your, as your physique. So when I moved to Canada, I was more fueled by the desire of going down the line of lifting more and seeing what that kind of looked like. I didn't want to necessarily play much sports anymore. So I gave myself a one year focus of I'm going to take one year and I'm going to step on stage. So I think that weekend, me and a buddy went out and checked out one of the local natural bodybuilding shows here in, in Calgary. And I said I was going to compete in one year. So I dedicated that year to to bodybuilding and uh, I did it. I stepped on stage, I think, uh, a year and a week later or something like that. So with, with, your, with your kinesiology degree and what you learned in that, it must have helped you a lot with your, with your bodybuilding. Yeah, yes and no. I think maybe the people around me more so. There's no research or anything, at least back then. Now's, now's a little bit different. So this was uh, just over 10 years ago. I stepped on stage in 2011. I was 21 years old. But there wasn't really many people out there doing research on bodybuilders and, and what's the best kind of uh, workout split. And at least it wasn't being taught at universities. That's changed quite a lot in the last decade. But I did the old school stuff. I, I was reading the forums, the flex magazines. So everything that I did was probably what I would consider maybe not the best way of doing things right now. But that then led me down the road of finding what was the better way of how to train during a prep and how to diet properly and, and kind of break the mantra of some of these old school bodybuilding myths that was still heavily circulating even a decade ago. For lack of better words, you experimented a lot and it sounds like you experimented a lot on yourself. Totally. I'd always use myself as my own experiment first. And whether that's with regards to training programs or different nutritional dieting strategies and stuff like that, I always kind of use myself first. What I was very fortunate, I was able to work with one of what, who I would consider one of the best coaches in natural bodybuilding and still today, Dr. Joe Klumzewski. But with working with him, it really opened my eyes into 
a more of a scientific approach to bodybuilding. And so that led me down finding out again these these better pathways to to take for not only myself but then starting to work with some clients and stuff like that so how did you meet up with um how do you pronounce his name dr sue dr joe klimzuski he, he owns the diet doc franchise we were at a like a mastermind weekend seminar run by the then inbf canada who at the time i had no affiliation with but he was one of the speakers. He's from Evansville, Indiana, and he flew up along with some other speakers from south the southern states and, and across Canada. So it was just a weekend with other bodybuilding enthusiasts. And you just sort of just went up to her and just started talking to him and he just took you under his wing type of thing and he sort of coached you. Is, is that is that the relationship you sort of established yeah, basically, with Basically, I mean, you were able to speak to some of these speakers, but definitely the way uh, his presentation was specifically on peaking for a bodybuilding show, it just made a lot of sense. And I was like, I've got to learn more from this guy. So I think a week or two after the seminar, I was about probably 20 weeks out from my next bodybuilding show that I was going to do. And I just reached out for him. I, I hadn't been coached by anyone before. I was like, I'd like to be coached by you. And so that's when we started working together. And to this day, I, I still use him as a coach as well. So this is when you're getting ready for your bodybuilding competition, where you really started getting right into it. You've already completed your kinesiology degree or you're, you're still in the midst yes. of completing it. I think I was in my second year, maybe third year 20 i think it was the end of my second year of kinesiology so again i was competing i had a full workload as well as i was you know obviously trying to work and <laughs> make some money as well and then i competed in my third year the end of my third year in the summer of that year the start of my fourth year and yeah so i, I did compete quite a bit at university okay so let's just go back to your kinesiology degree at the University of Calgary. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on that? Tell me and tell the listeners what was entailed in that degree. It's a pretty standard undergraduate degree. I mean, there's 40 courses that you complete. You, you have about 25 specific courses that range from everything from biomechanics to sports psychology to obviously your anatomy, your physiologies, exercise sciences, and all of those kind of things. Nothing too crazy there. You got, you got a ton of options that you could pick from. To get the Bachelor of Science, you needed a certain amount of scientific courses. So you kind of I was able to branch out and do some sort of geography courses and anthropology courses and just some other just stuff just for general sort of learning. The UFC is a great research-based university. There's a ton of sort of research practitioners out of there. So it's definitely a great place to learn and, and study. They got a great sports arena, uh, gym set up. So I was very happy with choosing the UFC. Your experience there at the University of Calgary is good. I've heard a lot of good things about that institution as well. They had things like the Human Performance Lab there where, where a lot of top-notch researchers did good research on just that human performance and whatever is affiliated with that. I don't want to get into a lot of details with that. But So you graduated what year? 2013. 2013. And so you're in the midst of competing in bodybuilding. So what happened after you graduated? got a job pretty quickly as a wellness coordinator in corporate fitness for those around Calgary, the Husky Energy Building. In the everyday runnings of the gym and the wellness programs and, and some things like that, you didn't really have much control in the say of running the gym, but you were there to sign up members and to do some personal training sessions, which was my actual lead into personal training, doing one-on-one -on -one sessions. But I was there for about 
two years before going on and doing my own thing. Okay. So you worked at uh, a wellness place or a gym, basically as a wellness kind of consultant. Exactly. You're, yeah. So, but you're still competing as an INBF bodybuilder. Tell us a little bit more about that. That next year, so this would be 2014 now. So it's about my second, going into my second full year of work. I actually took a full year of uh, actually competing. So one of, one of the, again, the biggest myths in the bodybuilding at the time was that you couldn't do an extended show season. So again, I like to break some myths. So I actually did a four, 54 week prep. I did my first show at, at week 20 which would have been in March in Savannah, Georgia. Then I went to Boston in June, California in July, and then Boston again for the Worlds in, in November of 2014, that was. So I actually took 54 weeks of, of prep. And again, it was just like something to do against the, the grain of salt. And people say that you couldn't do it. And I, I was saying that you can do it. So, but yeah, no, it was at that time, it was a little easier to balance training with life and doing some comp competing and stuff like that whilst i was at university i was trying to work 20 40 hours a week whilst competing and having a full course load as well so my days were were pretty long so i i kind of got a little bit more balance at that point as far as natural bodybuilding is concerned if we could just educate people on that when people hear bodybuilding they think of steroid abuse uh, drugs and whatnot so if you could just elaborate a little bit more on what natural bodybuilding is. Yeah, great question. Natural bodybuilding is exactly that. It's competing in bodybuilding without the use of any sort of performing enhancing drugs. So you're thinking your steroids, your high level fat burners, your growth hormones and, and all of those sort of things. So everyone within our natural bodybuilding uh, federation is uh, polygraph tested. So everyone's tested via the lie detector. And the polygraph test goes back 10 years. So we actually can look 10 years back into someone's life and whether they've done any, used any performing enhancing drugs. And if they have, then obviously that they forfeit the competition. And that's even before they step on stage. And then we use the urinalysis test for all our pro card winners. So when we talk about natural bodybuilding, when somebody Googles bodybuilding and you got all these affiliations coming up, all these companies coming up that, that put on bodybuilding shows, how can a person tell which one's a natural bodybuilding federation opposed to that's not, let's just say? There's going to be some sort of research. You're going to have to look into the different federations, look at their website, look at what sort of testing are they doing? Are they actually testing? It's it's a very murky water sort of industry, um, which is, again, why I did choose to affiliate myself with the federation that I do. The best place is to find a reputable coach and, and not just finding the first person that you find on Google and who's the, the highest rate rated, just doing your research. Who, What type of clients are they taking? What sort of their sort of philosophies? Ask previous competitors, ask around your gym. And it is gonna be a lot of self-research to kind of weed out some of these, the say the, the natural from the not natural federations. You explained that really well, thanks. So going back as you're competing in natural bodybuilding, you've done very well and you want a, what they call a, a, a pro ranking, a pro card. If you could just sort of elaborate on that, if you could, please. The way it works, typically, you'll have these novice divisions and qualify into the open rankings. Most of the time, by winning the overall show or the overall class, so each division, so bodybuilding would be a division, with a certain amount of minimum athletes required, you would earn pro status. And what that basically means is you can compete in other pro shows 
within that same federation with other pro athletes who have done the same thing. Just quickly, the WNBF is, is in almost 40 countries, so all over the world, Europe, Asia, South and North America, Australia. So there's a lot of opportunity now to go and compete against other natural athletes who abide by the same sort of testing procedures at a, a certain higher level, say, than just your sort of open classes. You mentioned the WN, or is it WNBF? Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so World Natural Bodybuilding Federation. And then when you won your competition or you won your pro card, that was, I believe that was with the INBF. Is that right? Yeah, so the INBF originally is, was the amateur affiliate of the WNBF, which was the pro affiliate. That was the way it kind of had originally stemmed, but it was the same federation. It was just that's how you would distinguish between the upper and lower levels of uh, competing. I'm just changing gears now a little bit. So obviously you got your pro status as a natural bodybuilder and all along you're still working at wellness center in Husky, in the Husky Tower there. And you did mention a little bit earlier that when you were working there, you were starting up sort of like a, a consulting firm, a sort of a fitness consulting firm. It, is that right? Exactly. So I think in 20, 2012, 2013, I was approached by a few people I, I generally approached slash referred to by some friends who maybe knew someone who was competing but they were working with a, a coach who just basically disregarded everything about them their health their performance very old school way of it's this way or no way and I, I think my first client she was four weeks out from a competition and was just dropped by her her coach and a friend recommended her see me and I just helped her out just to help someone out. And I was like, okay, this is what I've learned and let's just try this. And we just did some things and, and she ended up competing. She looked way better at the stage and she was the most important thing. She got there and she was happy and healthy about it. So anyway, that kind of, again, led that little bit of that passion to actually sort of start working with some other people. And again, a, a few more referrals led to me getting some nice transformation photos and that's kind of my entrance into the world into my own online coaching uh consulting company so basically this all just sort of happened by accident it's just people saw you competing they they knew that you knew your stuff and it was just friends just referring said well here, here's a guy that you know that could that could maybe help you out and you just sort of stepped into that and you just helped people out and it just sort of just grew from there and Basically, it was just word of mouth is how it sort of grew. Totally. A couple of things there. I definitely just it kind of accidentally fell into it in a way. But at the same time, it was it was still grabbing the opportunity while it was there. Right. It would have definitely ha had to almost take advantage of that situation to actually go ahead and do it. Because the easiest thing to do is you know just say no kind of thing but also as well I do like to speak to people and again a lot of people did see that I, I did have a general passion for helping people as well as uh, a kind of a bit more of a knowledge base than say average Joe with the kinesiology background and, and stuff like that you're doing this all online basically just going back and forth with emails if I understand it if I, I'm just putting things together in my own head yep. so you so the way you're coaching people is just basically online they're just emailing you back and forth with what they're doing during the week or within a few days and you're kind of responding and, and just, just sort of guiding them along. Am I reading everything correctly? 
I, I like this flexible dieting approach to, to nutrition. I've always got the best results and my clients have felt better that way. But anyway, once we you know typically had a phone call, we've done some back and forth emails and I've taught them this nutrition sort of way of thinking. I, I use these basic spreadsheets just to track their weight, how many calories and, and macros they were consuming and generally what changes were happening in the week. And then I could, you know, they would email me with an update how they were feeling. I would respond and just if there's anything we need to work on, they can just, you know, here's a suggestion on this one if we need to make any changes to the nutrition i can just again manipulate the diet strategy by adjusting calories and you know give them a week to get some more data and feedback and i mean it's always an evolution and a learning process every time you work with someone is still a little bit different but that was kind of the basic parameters around my kind of coaching style and it's evolved since but i mean still the basics are the basics and they're still there today okay so you're doing this and you're getting more and more clients and you're still working at Husky Wellness Center. You're also doing personal training there as well, because I remember you mentioned that a few minutes ago. So I know you're an owner of a gym called King's Fitness. Fill us in. What did you do? What made you make that leap? I'm going to say the um, the online coaching was a side hustle for me and my and my business. And, and where my personal training was additional to my, say, salaried income at Husky, I, I kind of look at it as once your side hustle and gigs kind of match your, say, your income, it gave me the confidence to go out and do my own thing. A lot of people do take a lot of risks these days. They try and start up a business when they've got nothing coming in. So it just gave me the confidence. And even from when I was young, I remember I always wanted my own place to train my own facility i didn't quite know what that meant at the time i was still a teenager but i, I i've always wanted to help people as we've kind of uh, touched on that and and so it kind of evolved into i always i wanted to own my own space so once my side business was almost matching my income from my main job i gave me the confidence to go out and actually look to get a small facility so all summer i was looking around different areas different places and i ended up finding a, a small crossfit studio that had a short-term lease I think it was 11 months and I just went all in I you know quit my job put a down payment down and put everything into that little space and it was a big risk at the time I was thankful I had a supportive girlfriend at the time who at least could um uh could get us by without I'm gonna say a ton of at least monetary stress but uh, yeah so that's that's where we started off a little 1600 square foot little warehouse bay and some basic equipment and I just went from there I got to ask you this question when you started that up, because it must be rolling through people's heads that are listening. Were you nervous? I think a lot of it initially was actually excitement. But again, I had a little bit more confidence because I think at least I knew I could get by on my, some of my personal training clients uh, did come with me as well as I had a bit of a, this foundation of online clientele. At least I know I could pay rent. <laughs> So that was that was my sort of my given initially. I was like, anything above that is gravy. At least I could pay rent. Okay, so so basically, you went into it with a good foundation. You did have some clients from your other place that you personal training that you knew. At least you could say you had a feeling that were going to come with you. But you had your online business that seemed to be well. You mentioned it. It was it was equivalent to what you were making full time at your previous job. So that's pretty good income coming in. And so you had some stability going into this. Exactly. Yes. I'm not going to say a 
you know, a wellness coordinator makes a ton of money, but, but it was still salary and it was still 40 hours a week. And I, I could basically convert that across onto my online. And, and that was without putting too much focus on, on that. I mean, I've always, again, we you mentioned right away there, a lot of it built from word of mouth. So that, that's been my sort of my business strategy a lot of this whole time, but at least I knew I was in a more of a confident position. So you're in this little, you said 1600 square foot space. You've got some basic equipment. You're doing your online training. Some of your clients have probably walked over. You're doing some personal training as well. Is there anything else you've done or you did here at this point to, to grow this business? So one thing that always made sense to me and, and just looking at all the other typical models of the way a gym works is the personal trainers will run under under a gym name. And the gym will take a big cut of the pay from the clients. And it never really made sense to me why that was. I always thought that the the personal trainers were doing all the work. They Most of the time they were marketing themselves. So I was able to get a few contract trainers who came on board right away. And so they effectively, I flipped the model on its head and now they were the ones being paid for the work that they were doing and the gym would take a smaller cut which in my mind just made sense because again if i was a personal trainer going into a gym if i'm bringing clients there i would be the one wanting to take most of the them pay and anyway that model has really worked out for me since and it was one of the best decisions i ever made for sure so that helped you obviously grow the gym then you had, you had some other trainers coming in there they were giving you a bigger cut of, of what they were making and they're just giving you a small portion to, to rent out the space so you said this was what 11 month lease you said when you first went into this place yeah so it was 11 months and that brought us to kind of like the summer of next year i had a big decision to make then did i want to carry on did i want to just move everything back to online i've always liked the social aspect of being in a gym and meeting people and speaking to people. So I did make the decision to find a new space. It was slightly bigger. I think it was again, a little over say 2,400 square feet. It was just down the road. So again, I, I was still in the same sort of area, but the bigger space allowed us to get in some more equipment. And because we had a bigger space, now we had some more trainers come on board. And yeah, so we were in that space then for two years before we, I, I say we outgrew it before moving on again. Okay, so okay, let's just talk about this one space. So obviously you're getting more trainers in there. It's word of mouth, it's growing, you're getting more equipment. Then, as you said, you grew this space, but in the sense that you had too many clients using the gym or you had too many trainers in there or maybe both. It was kind of a bit of everything. At this point, we weren't so much of a membership-based gym yet. But we had a few more trainers start to come on board. And again, with that comes more clients. And again, in a small space, we were having up to maybe even 30 people. And, and if you got a couple of small groups going on and with the trainers, it was it was it was busy. And I mean, it was a good feeling, but I felt like the right thing to do was try and find a bigger space. And funny how fate has it. I think it was right at the two year mark or six months before that, actually, we had my uh, realtor reach out to me and was like, Hey, I've got this guy interested in your space. Um, just going to see, just want to see where you're at. And I'm like, yeah, maybe it's the right time to go and start looking at other spaces. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that now though, because obviously you made a transition from where you were then to where you are now. So if you could just sort of fill us in a little bit on that. 
Yeah, so, I mean, the, the jump from the first place to the second place wasn't that much. Like, I think it was maybe adding 800 square feet or something like that. Also, both of them were subleases. So, again, I was just taking over someone else's lease. So, I wanted my next space to be a, a newer space, a bigger space, obviously, and to make more of a, an extravagant jump this time. So, we actually found a place up the road that was 8,000 square feet and it was a total empty canvas. So we were able to actually work with the engineers and the the contractors to actually design our, our dream sort of gym. So we found a space and it was about a 12 to 14 week build out. And so I think exactly on that two year mark, we moved into where we are right now. So at this point, you're really growing. I mean, you're going from, you said a 2,400 square foot space to mm-hmm. you said, what, 8,000 square feet. So that's about, what, almost three times the size. So that's, that's, that's huge. So you take, did you feel that you were taking a big risk then? Or did, did you feel pretty confident? Uh, so with the numbers I, that you this, this was less of a risk than the first jump. At least, again, I come back to that. At least I know I can pay rent. At least you've got some numbers that you can work off now. I know what my rent was and all my expenses at the other place was. I knew what I was making from my trainers and and some memberships. And I knew at least that when we got in here, new equipment alone, that's a different story. But I knew at least that I we were, say, net positive from moving in, even though it was a free X jump almost. It was, again, I had that confidence that at least we were able to uh, get the ball rolling kind of thing. It wasn't, it was a big jump, but it wasn't so big that it was kind of as maybe out of the water, so to speak. Did you change your business model at all? We kept the same model, the the, the same, especially with regards to the, the trainers and the way they rented space. I am going to say, though, that along the way, I was able to increase the rates by a little bit because same with anything, you add more value into a service or you offer more and all of that kind of stuff, you can and should charge a little bit more. But again, I was still, in my opinion, way better than what the big box gyms were doing. And it gave a lot of trainers still their freedom to build their own businesses out of here. But the main difference we made is we made it more of a a membership based gym for people to come and work out in an environment that is conducive to working out and lifting and working towards people's goals so that was that was maybe our change in sort of maybe small business shift but keeping everything else the same so obviously when you move to this larger space you felt pretty confident though too that all your clients are going to come and you're going to actually have more clients as well yeah, I spoke to the people that were in the gym, obviously. So I tried not to blindside people. I asked the trainers, hey, how does a bigger space sound in the same area? You know, go and speak to your clients and stuff like that. And obviously I could speak to mine and some other things. And everyone was super on board. Everyone's been super supportive from from day one. I think a lot of people in here can see where we have been and where we are going. And they almost like to be a part of that sort of journey and everyone's been super supportive. I want to delve into more of, uh, and this is excluding COVID. We all understand what COVID, COVID has done to gyms and everybody else, but pre-COVID, where, where were you? I mean, what did the gym look like? Uh, if you could just sort of describe it to the, to the, to the listeners. I'm not going to say we're 
out outgrowing the space, but it's it's definitely moving in that direction as well, which is awesome. The vibe, the atmosphere has been generally amazing, even during COVID when we've been able to open up and and sort of within the sort of the restrictions and the parameters. Uh, and maybe that's a, just a bit of a mental shift from everyone else. But you know, before we were getting pretty up there with with regards to a, a capacity at certain times. Yeah, so I think we've been in a really good place. The, the my main focus uh, on this space has been uh, I've been trying to f- replace all the old stuff with new stuff. So with regards to the equipment and and getting in new things, so getting in sort of more strongman esque stuff. We also have like a jujitsu studio here and and allowing their group to grow out of out of here. And so I've just been again still trying to be putting back into the gym even now and just again seeing these continual improvements. And the main reason is is for the the members and the clients and the trainers to be honest with you. So. So just hearing what you're telling me, you're one of these people that really wants to make sure that you're giving back. I think going back to when you even opened up your first gym, you said you just wanted your own place to work out. So obviously you're really proud of what you have right now because you obviously work out there. But when you said you're replacing old equipment, so obviously you want to make sure your clientele are getting their money's worth. You're, You're replacing the old equipment with new equipment. You're just making sure that they're they're happy. You're, you're, you're more about just making sure that they're content and happy opposed to just taking money from them. A hundred percent. It's always been about the our members and our trainers and our clients first. I don't like the focus to ever be on money at all. But if you do the right things and you, again, focus on creating value and, and servicing people in the right way and on all of that stuff, money will come from that. I think it's it's the the mental aspect of what you are focusing on as a business owner and as an entrepreneur or, or what have you. If you focus on your product and your services and, and what you're offering people, the monetary side will follow. But I think you have to have that right mindset first to be able to grow. If you focus on the wrong thing, you're, you're going to fall at the first hurdle. Those are wise words. So what is the future for, for King's Fitness then? This is a tough question. I'm always have a kind of a growth mindset and I do want to go and get improved. I still think, feel like a bigger location that offers more amenities and stuff like that has been my, I think where we've been working to towards. I'd like to have a full personal wellness services, a chiro physio and massage on site, having a bigger gym, having a boxing area, now your jujitsu area. So I think it is morphing into a bigger space right now. A lot of people do talk about maybe franchising and and being able to open up multiple locations and whether that's in different cities or whether that's in Calgary alone. It's it's definitely something. We're we're definitely moving in towards something. I haven't uh, quite decided what's the best angle yet for to grow King's Fitness. So all along since since you've moved from your from your little small space to your your next bigger space to to the space that you're in right now and how you've attracted all the clientele that you have not to mention your trainers is there one key thing that you use to make decisions i do like to ask other people not necessarily for advice but definitely asking what they think and how maybe people would react or receive it. I even ask, you know, about getting in certain pieces of equipment. What do other people want? So I I think it's just more about speaking to people, making sure that we're going in the right direction for the most people. I mean, you can't ever please everyone, but I think if you can kind of, again, please the majority of people, then you're onto the, the right path.
So obviously you, you just keep an open mind and you're totally. really receptive to, to what other people are saying. I have my vision, but it's not kind of my way or the highway kind of thing. This is what I've learned. This is my experience. Let's give this a try. How's that working? And again, it's always more of this give and take sort of thing. But again, you're still you're you're still having the vision and the the direction. So you throw an idea out there, and this idea you would throw at your clients, but at the same time, you're incorporating the trainers as well that are, that are working in your facility as well to see what they think. Totally. I mean, we're, we're all a, a big, this one big family and community to begin with. And I think everyone has their own equal thoughts or um, opinions. And the more information you can get, the, the, the better of a decision you can make. I just want to harp on this a little bit more before we go back to the bodybuilding. But because anybody's listening, this is a really neat concept you have. Because the trainers can actually leave anytime. They're not really under any obligation to stay with you. Yet, though, you said a neat thing, though, a couple of minutes ago. Or a minute ago that it's like a big family there so everybody seems to work together am i right about that a hundred percent i i i i kind of uh, again go back to what the big gyms were doing i did the opposite so again most of the times when trainers go to a gym you're in a big contract you can't leave or if you can leave you can't train within a certain radius and i was like no i want the people to be here because they want to be here and i think like again if you provide them the right atmosphere the right community, the right family, the right environment for them to grow their own business, they won't want to leave. And again, if, if a fit isn't a right fit, then absolutely, yeah. there will be a place to be a right fit. I'm Again, I'm, I want people to who have the same vision as me or under me to to kind of stick around and um, do what they're, they're passionate about. And it's, it's worked out very well. All of our trainers from our very first space are still trainers here today. Have you ever had people come or trainers come and show up and work with you for a while, but have said, no, this is not for me, and they, they've taken off. Not everyone's business model is going to fit under here as well. Some people have maybe larger groups, and it, that just doesn't quite fit in, under this model. And I think from a mental aspect, most people, when they do check out the space for whatever reason, whether it was a referral or whether they found us online, they see the atmosphere, they, they're clients ultimately like the atmosphere that they're training in and i think that's half the reason why a lot of the <laughs> the trainers obviously don't leave as well is because the clients are here and they feel like family and community and they don't want to leave so it's just a win-win for everybody that's what you've created if you that's the best partnership in business and in life is where everyone wins okay we've got some time still if you don't mind let's, let's just change gears because let's talk about your other passions still which is going back to bodybuilding, which is the INBF. So you've got your pro card. I think you became a judge in bodybuilding as well. Did you not? Yeah. Do you mind? Can I do the quick timeline of this? And uh, yeah, uh, yeah. just uh, just like a couple of years. So in 2011, I started competing. I did earn my pro card in 2012. 2013, I actually started promoting for the as the regional director of Calgary for INBF Canada. So I actually started promoting here in Calgary in 2013. And uh, I was a pro at that stage. So 2014, I think COVID granted, this would have been our eighth or ninth year promoting Calgary. In 2015, I actually started judging internationally in, in the US for a couple of show promoters that I have connected well with since, and mostly in Seattle, as well as Savannah, Georgia. 
in 2016, I was approached, me and my wife was approached to actually take over the INBF Canada Federation, which would mean promoting four shows a year, so 2017. And then since then, we've actually been able to grow to about seven shows. And we've just broken into the Ontario province as well, though we haven't had a show yet there. So that's kind of been the timeline since. I've actually been able to judge in the Philippines as a head judge as well. One of my other passions in life is, is being able to travel as well as helping out other people. And bodybuilding for me was a, a means to give back to not only the athletes and promote well-run organized shows that have strong values, but also being able to go to different cities and compete as well as go to different cities and judge and help out other show promoters and help them grow their athlete base and so you know everything I do has basically been because I'm passionate about something and usually because I is it is helping out other people as well as well as getting to travel I always like that too let's talk a little bit more about the judging because a lot of people get really confused about how bodybuilding competitions are judging could you could you elaborate on that please I'm going to go specific now, but we have seven judges on a panel. It's a split between male and female. All the scores are tabulated, and the high, the highest score and the lowest score is always removed. So you you get the best of the sort of the average. It's kind of how they judge the Olympics in the sort of the subjective sports and stuff like that. The judging criteria, each category has a certain amount of rounds, usually two rounds, sometimes three rounds. Um, and each round is looking for a different thing. So for, let's take bodybuilding specifically. You have a muscle mass round, which is basically the most amount of muscle that you can have hold on your body while still, I'm going to say conditioned, uh, so fat-free muscle mass. So as big as you can be and as lean as you can be is round one. And then round two is your symmetry round. So that's are you balanced? Are you proportionate? Do your sort of the muscles sizes match and you judge them in those two rounds and you give an athlete a placing then the score is tabulated and and you, that's how your results are chosen okay so in in a competition in inbf for example you, you have bodybuilding i'm assuming you have your heavyweight your middleweight and your and your lightweight and these categories are just divided up by by weight and of course by gender as well is there any other it, everybody's always heard of these bodybuilding competitions and they've heard about the other categories. Could you maybe just elaborate on that as well? Yeah. So you're either your height or your weight categories. And then obviously you got your gender ones as well. So bodybuilding, you got male and female and you typically got different weight categories and that'll depend, that'll change depending on how big the show is and the caliber of the show and some stuff like that. Going into then the other male category is men's physique in bod natural bodybuilding. And that, there is something that's emerged lately for uh, it's called classic physique or classic bodybuilding. It's mostly in the untested federations. And the main reason is because the bodybuilders are getting so big in the untested federations that you, now you needed this, this in between category to look a little bit more classical like they did in the Arnold's era so the, like the 70s and some of the 80s in the female categories typically four divisions you have bikini which is your least muscle mass your more of your beach look sort of bikini model it's kind of the, been the most popular class for the last few years now you've got figure which is more of your swimsuit model you've got a little bit more muscle mass you've got a little bit more of this x frame 
you're not quite as lean as the bodybuilding class, but you've got still got some muscle shape around you. And then you have a fit body or a physique class. And that's kind of an in-between a figure and a, a bodybuilder is maybe not as lean or not as much muscle mass as a bodybuilder, but maybe a little bit more than a figure. And there's typically some more flexing poses. So some female bodybuilding-esque sort of posing. And that's that's the differences quickly, briefly there between all the different categories. Okay. So you give us a rundown of the different categories in the shows. Now, as you, as I would say the president of the INBF with you and your wife, what entails, what do you do to put on a show? There's a lot of work that goes into running a show. 95%, 98% is all the behind the scenes work. And then the 2% is the actual show day. But I mean, it's, it's from everything, right? It's obviously you're trying to attract athletes to compete with you. You're organizing a venue. You're making sure the lighting, the sound system's good. You're organizing hotel rooms. You're organizing a tanning team. For us, it's a polygraph team. You have photography team. And so you, once you've got these things booked, again, you're now promoting the show. You're trying to get athletes in. You're, you're trying to promote the federation and the shows all the way up to show day. And the show day is the, the fun time. It's it's when all the athletes have get to showcase their hard work. But it's, a, it's two or three very long days, the athlete meetings to actually the show day itself. And you typically we have a, a ton of volunteers which are organizing and making sure that athletes are in the right place at the right time, make sure the athletes understand and know what they, they're doing you know then they're on stage they're off stage the photography team's doing their thing it's, it's just it's just where everything kind of comes together on the, on that side of that one day but it's typically a you know a 14 or a 16 hour day for sure maybe even longer 20 hours sometimes i swear but yeah i would assume there's a lot of people involved with this and they're not all paid there's probably a lot of volunteers am i right about that you're exactly right about it. It's, uh, I mean, natural bodybuilding is, it has not exactly a ton of money involved within it. Most of us do what we do because again, we're, we're passionate about it, whether we are a competitor ourselves as kind of our way of giving back. The judges, again, not making a ton of money, but they, they get paid a little bit for the day of work, although they do a hell of a good job for that, that day of work for sure. Of the volunteers, it, it is a lot of volunteer services. And again, it's a lot of people who are either wanting to compete and they want to get a good idea of what a show day looks like, or they have competed with us and they're like, I don't want to compete again, but I absolutely love your federation and I want to help out in as, as any way I can. And it's, it's a great time for people and community to come back together because a lot of these people, they're, they're going back to their, you know, all over the provinces and sometimes all over, you know, Canada they don't get to see these people every day, although with social media, it's great, but they actually get to come and, and just hang out with like-minded people. I see a parallelism between your gym business, King's Fitness, and the INBF, because with both, people are just volunteering to be there. You're not holding anybody with a contract or anything. You're not pulling anybody in. People just seem to volunteer and just gravitate to both your operations. I definitely appreciated the view of that, almost ex exactly like that. Again, I don't like that you have to be here to, to say, keep your pro status or to compete with us. You have to volunteer at certain amount of shows and stuff like that. No, we, we want the people, the people who want to be there will be there. And the experience then will be that much greater for the athletes involved or getting involved. So you're growing these shows as well. If I remember right, you, you said you're doing seven shows a year now. This is pre-COVID. So pre-COVID, we were actually at five. We'd brought in Kelowna to promote our first show. Actually would have been 
at the end of June, but we've had to postpone it. But and then even pre-COVID, we had brought on Ontario to have a show later this year, but we've actually just postponed that till 2022. So yeah, there were the two cities that we'd brought on. That was Kelowna and, and in Ontario. So just again, again, trying to expand the reach of the athletes across Canada. The WNBF, and it was kind of why I was attracted to them initially, was they are the gold standard for natural bodybuilding across the world with regards to mostly because of their testing, but the caliber of athletes at the pro level. So a lot of athletes will reach out to us and be like, hey, we want to show over in this area, or maybe we'll take Ontario, for example, one of the athletes actually went down to the States to compete. I believe it was in New York. And he's like, we need to get this in Eastern Canada. I'll do anything to help promote it. And so, yeah, we got a new promoter on board just by that. So, again, I think it's if you've got strong values, you'll attract the right kind of people to you. You answered my next question was, how do, how do you actually broaden something like this? But you did answer that. It's just a lot of it's word of mouth and just having the right people on board. You were into powerlifting as well. So would you like to elaborate on that as well? I've always been a competitive person. Even when I started bodybuilding, my secondary backup was going to be powerlifting just because, again, it was uh, gym focused. I've always felt that a stronger muscle will be a bigger muscle. And the best way to get strong in certain movements is, again, just straight powerlifting. So I used powerlifting as my off-season training, to be honest with you. But I, the reason why I like it is because I have a a very tangible goal in mind and a competition to work towards. So not only am I focusing on on, on beating myself and my previous bests, but I've got a, a platform or a stage to, to kind of showcase that. So I, again, kind of getting back into the competition side of things. I started, I did some meets in 2014, 2015, 2016, then took a couple of years back to do some bodybuilding and uh, then the last couple of years, this was pre-COVID and after my la and last bodybuilding competitions, I was able to qualify and compete at two national level competitions where I placed top five. And yeah, I've been very happy with performance and numbers there. So we like to give back to the community as anything. And uh, so we ended up promoting a, a powerlifting competition pre-COVID. So ideally with the gym involved, we can we can promote some more of those in the future. Is there anything else you do with your gym where you give back to the community? We have a ton of barbecues and we've done a, we've done a bar crawl, a pub, uh, a brew crawl one day, which was awesome. We had like 50 people show up and we just kind of hung out at a few fruit breweries locally and had some drinks with people. And I would like to do more sort of outings and events, whether it's a family day at the zoo or a hike or a rafting trip down the bow and stuff like that, just to get people involved outside of the gym. I think that's where people truly do connect. Aside from the trainers, do you support any other businesses? We like to support any other competition that's going on and around, whether that's sponsorship money or just even just helping out and volunteering and stuff like that. There's a high school strongman meet that we've supported in recent times. A lot of charity sort of events, people doing uh, team running events. We, we always try and help out and sponsor and again support the small businesses how we can as well you've taken your passion for kinesiology changing people's physiques you've gone into personal training you've become president a judge of uh, the imbf which is a bodybuilding federation you've opened up your own gym and you've actually grown that you've done quite a bit with yourself on some closing notes if anybody was looking at getting into the fitness industry or maybe opening up a gym or or is maybe just going, I don't even know what I want to do with myself. What have you learned so far? What, what kind of advice would you like to pass on to, any, to, to other people? 
definitely i i think ask go out there and and find a coach or find someone doing what you want to do and go and ask them for advice and shadow them take them out and gra grab a coffee and just kind of pick their brains a little bit people like me want to share their experiences and i'm a big fan of obviously follow your passion that's that's a no-brainer go go and do what you want to to do but be smart about it as well don't put your life savings into something that may not work out do it in a in a sort of a slow and smart way i've always started small i'm not going to say risk-free there's always risk associated with everything but started small and just built on that and it's just like a snowball effect rolling down a hill right it will gain momentum and speed as you go but don't risk uh risk your life savings on something that may not work out and find if you're truly passionate about it as well once some people may really want to coach people do the online coaching thing or whatever but when they actually start working with people eh, maybe it's not for them as well right so yeah that's kind of what i'd see um always learn read listen to podcasts go and speak to people and build up your experience yeah i know you read a lot too don't you i love to read i'm not the best at it but i i do really like to read it's kind of my sort of my calming of my my brain <laughs> any good books that you would recommend more recently so i rich dad poor dad was a really good book recently for me i think depending on what stage of your life and your business you are i used to read a ton of training and fitness and nutrition books which is obviously the foundation of the coaching and stuff like that some business and uh, leadership books there's a ton out there seven seven habits of highly effective people and malcolm gladwell's got some good books there's a there's a ton of some stuff out there just kind of read and, and listen to podcasts and my recent good one i think was the was rich dad poor dad and it was just mostly on the personal finance side and and just kind of building and growing personal wealth okay anything else that you'd like to add or you know what this was just a real pleasure um oh, well, thanks. I've, I've known mickey for six or seven or eight years now and you know as an athlete and as a as a a friend and it's it's been great seeing your journey along the way as well and i just really appreciate uh coming on and sharing and some experience with uh, everyone well thanks i appreciate your time this afternoon I, I really really do thank you so much i would like to give a big thanks to leo for this insightful and encouraging interview just to recap, he tells us how he made the move from England to Calgary, Canada. Being very active growing up, it was natural for him to enroll in the sports exercise program in England. Later, when he moved to Canada, he transferred this into a kinesiology degree. He became very interested in how the body can change when incorporating weight training to it. So with that, he became more interested in bodybuilding and strength training. After going to a natural bodybuilding show, he made the commitment and competed a year later. This started his bodybuilding career. Throughout his undergraduate life, he continued to compete in bodybuilding, refining his technique. With the mentorship from the diet doctor, Dr. Joe Kaluiski, he did very well in this sport. In 2013, he graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology from the University of Calgary, which he highly recommends as it was a very good research-based program. This led him to be employed as a wellness coordinator in the corporate fitness world.
During this time, Leo still competed. In fact, in 2014, he did an extended show season by competing four times in one year. This is very hard to do. It's clear Leo works hard but loves challenges. As he made his mark within the natural bodybuilding community, he volunteered to help other competitors in their prep for competitions. He just likes to help others. In helping others, with time, he developed this into an online business, training clients. He devised his own way of training clients. He incorporated flexible dieting, all along keeping clients healthy and happy. This is something he takes a great deal of pride in. This is why his online business grew to the point that his side business was making as much as his day job. This is what initiated him to open up his small gym, King's Fitness. He talks about how he minimized the risk in opening up this gym. He had a good foundation from his online business. Starting small, word of mouth, and a new strategy that would assist other trainers in how they got paid. Trainers got the bigger part of the pie working with him. This is how he built his business. And with this foundation, within a few short years, he grew from a 1,600 square foot gym to now an 8,000 square foot gym. He talks about his other venture as being president of the International Natural Bodybuilding Fitness Federation, the INBF. He talked about what it is like to promote a bodybuilding competition. He also talked about how he's growing this business by adding more shows and how that works. He talks about his experience as a judge of bodybuilding competitions. And in doing so, he explains what, com- what judges are looking for from competitors. As the title of this podcast suggests that Leo is a leader in the fitness industry, and this is furnished by his examples in both ventures and how he has built a community. Trainers want to bring their clients to his facility. People want to train and work out in his gym. People want to volunteer and help out with the bodybuilding shows. In both ventures, he talks about giving back and doing the best he can to ensure that the clients, trainers, and athletes and volunteers are all happy. He finishes this interview by just stating that he started small and word of mouth is what grew. He suggests that if you're interested in something, find someone else that is doing the same thing and talk to them, pick up their brains, and then try it out. You may like it or you may not. He also says reading is a piece of advice that he would like to pass on as it is really helpful for him. This is definitely an encouraging and insightful interview. I hope everyone enjoyed it. With that, I would like to ask everyone to join in next week for another edition of the Career Guy podcast, where I will be interviewing Megan Burns. Megan Burns is a social worker in rural Alberta. This is an eye-opening interview as she describes how she helps others in dealing with addictions and mental illness.